reading from Hebrews chapter 1 and reading through into chapter 2. The readings found on page 1201. 1201. Hebrews 12 verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again I will be his father and he will be my son. And again when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of angels, he says, He makes his angels winds. His servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says in the beginning, O Lord, You laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding... And every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Amen.
Well, I have an apology to make, first of all, this morning, and that is that you're not getting 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verses 25 to 40. Uh, One of the commentators says, it is one of the most difficult sections in Corinthians. So having lost two days at Synod this week, um, and having worked the other two days on the passage, beginning to get some clarity, I didn't feel ready to preach on it. So uh, hopefully by next week, um, we will um, we will be there. So this morning, what I want to do is <clears throat> to do an introduction to the book of Hebrews. I have finished First and Second Kings in my daily reading of the Scriptures, and have turned to the New Testament. And it is my practice to alternate between the Testaments for two reasons. First of all, both Old and New Testament are the Word of God and are profitable to study for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 17. Reformed Christianity does not believe that the Old Testament is redundant. We believe that the Old Testament points us to Christ. And the Old Testament holds many things that we still need to believe and many lessons that we need to learn which we will not find in the New Testament. And so if you have only a New Testament or if you're a church that focuses uh, on the New Testament saying the Old Testament uh, is secondary or even finished, then you will be greatly impoverished. And that is true for us as Christians as well. And then the second conviction I've already alluded to, both Old and New Testament reveal Christ. Every part of the Old Testament reveals Christ. Um, Christ spoke of the law of Moses, the Psalms and the prophets. And what did he say? They speak of me. Luke 24 verse 44. And so I would commend this practice to you also, that you alternate reading the scriptures between Old and New Testament. So with the exception of next Sabbath morning, when we will find finish 1 Corinthians 7, uh, I will be preaching on texts and sections of Hebrews during the summer months probably morning and evening. And so, for that reason this morning, uh, in preparation for this evening, I want to give you an overview of Hebrews. Now, though this is going to be more background, I hope that we will also see and be able to uh, derive the spiritual, uh, a spiritual sense and appetite for this book Uh, from what I'm saying this morning. I want to think, first of all, about its author. 
its author. I wonder how many of us think Paul is the author of Hebrews. We'll not ask for a show of hands, but etched on my mind is an incident from my late teens. I was on holiday with some friends in a Christian boarding house which had a bookstall. And um, my best friend at that time and I were browsing the books and chatting. I don't remember if there were a book on Hebrews on the bookstall or not. In any case, I made the comment to my friend about Paul being the author of Hebrews. The manageress, passing by, overheard me and quickly interjected questioning whether Paul was indeed the author of Hebrews. As a 17-year-old, I considered myself well and truly told off, cut down to size, and from that point on was careful as to who overheard my conversations with my friend. But older and wiser now, I realise that that many, I realise that many, Uh, think that Paul was the author of Hebrews. There are distinguished uh, men of God from the past who believe that Paul was the author of this letter. I think there are more reasons against Paul than for Paul. I'm not going to give you them all this morning, but let me just give one or two so that you can uh, understand why it's less likely that it was Paul that wrote this letter. Uh, First of all, uh, it does not begin and end as Paul wrote his letters. We have many letters from Paul in the New Testament. And Paul always begins those letters. um, Paul, and then he addresses his recipients And then he refers to himself either as an apostle or as a servant. And so he always introduces himself. Now, there could have been a good reason why Paul did not introduce himself in this way if he were writing to the Hebrews. So that in itself is not a definitive reason for saying that it was not Paul. But it is part of the picture. I think... Another reason, and perhaps a stronger reason, is Paul was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And this letter is to Jews, to Jewish believers. And so it does seem unlikely, less likely, that a man who spent his life and knew he was called of God to the Gentiles. Yes, in his ministry, he always began with Jews if they were there in the town or city that he was visiting. He went to their synagogue, but very quickly, his ministry moved from the Jews to the Gentiles. And as the sole apostle in the New Testament uh, record to the, to the Gentiles, it's unlikely or less likely that Paul did write this letter. Um, So it's unlikely that Paul wrote it. Other suggestions as to who wrote this book uh, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the illumination of the Holy Spirit, 
Those take in Barnabas, Timothy and Apollos. The reality is we do not know the human instrument the Spirit used. Oregon and 2.25 said, God only knows certainly. So only God knows whom he used to write this letter. And it doesn't suffer in any way as a part of scripture simply because we do not know its human author. We um, believe that the human uh, that were, that the human name that's attached to parts of scripture is only the instrument, only the mouthpiece or the hand by which God, the Holy Spirit, wrote scripture. That's its author. Let's think then for a moment about its um, audience or its recipients. To whom was the letter written? And uh, again, we can't be absolutely certain. I've said already that it was written to Jewish believers, and I'll show, uh, say a little bit more about that in a moment. But in terms of the place where its recipients lived, um, we have no um, certainty. Some suggest that those receiving this letter lived in Jerusalem. And um, at the other end of the spectrum, uh, there's a view that they lived in Rome. What we can say with absolute certainty, and this is enough to help us to understand uh, the, the book, is that the recipients were previously Jews who have now professed faith in Jesus Christ. Now, bearing that in mind, um, we can't be any more precise because the reality is Jews lived all over the world, the known world, in the first century. So, for example, in Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, uh, with regard to the day of Pentecost, Peter records that Jews were there from every nation under heaven. The dispersion of the Jews had taken place across the, the continents uh, and the nations of the first century world. And that was part of God's preparation for the going forth of the gospel. Uh, and uh, that's what was happening in Acts chapter 1. And why God chose that particular uh, event, Pentecost, when Jews gathered from all over the known world in Jerusalem. That's the day God poured out the Holy Spirit. That's the day 3,000 people were converted. And those 3,000 people, we can well believe, were not just from Jerusalem. They were from these various places that God had gathered them. And to which then they will have gone back eventually. So, we can say with certainty that they were Jews for two reasons. First of all, its name. It's called Hebrews. And Hebrews is the name that was given or used for Jews. Secondly, 
the whole thrust of this epistle is to show that Jesus Christ, though invisible to the human eye, is superior to all visible forms and features of the Jewish religion. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. The whole thrust of this letter is to show that Jesus Christ, though invisible to the human eye, in other words, you couldn't see Christ. And that was part of the taunt of unbelieving Jews. Though invisible to the human eye, he is superior to all the visible forms and features of Old Testament Jewish religion. And the Holy Spirit, through its author, sets out to show that Jesus Christ is superior because he has fulfilled and abolished Old Testament religion. He is the prophet who has spoken. He is the priest who has offered a once-for-all sacrifice. And he is the king who reigns from the seed of David, from the throne of David. So those offices, prophet, priest and king that were there in the Old Testament, now they are brought together. Now they are united in the person and work of Jesus. And though you can't see him, he has fulfilled all those visible forms and done away with them. He's the prophet, the priest and the king. Now, I think it's um, fairly certain that they, uh, the recipients were living outside Judea. For this reason, all the quotations, and there are many, many quotations in Hebrews. Um, and all those quotations are from the Old Testament scriptures, but in the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. So that's the translation that you would have used if you were living as a Jew in the Greek world. In other words, living outside Palestine. So I think that fact makes it highly likely uh, that uh, these are Jews living outside Judea. Their first language is Greek and they read the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. When I was in Germany getting Mark settled a couple of months ago, I had my Bible on my phone in German because that was the language of the land I was living in and that was the language that I was seeking to speak and to refresh in my memory. So it's that same principle. So its author is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has kept hidden from us the human author. Its uh, audience or its recipients are Jews, almost certainly Jews, uh, who are now scattered uh, or who are um, part of um, um, Jews living across the earth, living somewhere outside of Judea. Very briefly, something about its date. 
When was the letter to the Hebrews written? Again, we cannot be absolutely certain. It has to be late enough for them to be in the second uh, generation of elders in the congregation. Because Hebrews chapter 13 talks about elders having died. But then there's a reference later in verse 23 of chapter 13 about Timothy. So Timothy has not died. Um, and then we, um, when you come into chapters 8 to 10, we know that the temple is still standing in Jerusalem. Because the writer is saying these things are going to pass away. It's going to be destroyed. Uh, the literal temple. So that means that it has to be that has to have been written sometime before A.D. seventy, and the best uh, calculation is in the late sixties, the late sixties. So the author is the Holy Spirit, the human agent kept hidden. The recipients are Jews living somewhere in a Greek setting. It's date, the late 60s, and now it's message. And this is the most important part uh, of what I'm going to say this morning. Hebrews divides into two parts. Chapters 1 to 10 and chapters 11 to 13. And what is Hebrews about? Very simply... The message of Hebrews is the superiority of Christ. The superiority or the greatness of Christ. Okay? That's what chapters 1 to 10 is about. Chapters 11 to 13 are about the necessity of personal, saving, enduring faith in Christ, who is superior. Now let me just flesh out each of those sections a little bit more. The greatness of Christ or the superiority of Christ. We're going to see tonight from verses 1 to 3 of chapter 1 that he's superior to the prophets. And then the rest of that chapter into chapter 2 that we read this morning, he's superior to the angels. And then chapter 3 will show us he's superior to Moses. Chapter 4 will show us he's superior to Joshua. And you can think of how Moses was the lawgiver, so he's superior to the lawgiver. Joshua was the rest giver because he brought them into their inheritance, into the promised land. But the Christ is superior because he gives an eternal rest, an eternal Sabbath. Chapter 4. And then uh, chapters 4, verse 14, to the end of chapter 10, he's superior to all of the Old Testament uh, worship and ritual, superior to the priests. You could put it like that, superior to the priests in all that they were and in all that they did. Okay, that's what it's about. He's superior. Now, through those opening ten chapters, as the writer is giving this teaching 
about the superiority of Christ over the prophets, the angels, Moses, Joshua and the priests, he then introduces what we call applications, which are by the form of exhortations. So we have four times the word therefore. Okay? So, if I was to say to you this morning, uh, there is a fire upstairs, therefore you need to get out of this building. That's the application of the statement that I've made. The practical application. And so, in Hebrews, these therefores, These four, therefores, are the application of the teaching. Let me show you, well, if you're wanting to note them down, I'll give them to you first of all, and then we'll look at them. Chapter 2, verse 1, is the first of them. Chapter 3, verse 7, is the second. Chapter 6, verse 1, is the third. And chapter 10, verse 19, is the fourth. That's in that opening section. So, let's just note these. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. So, these believers, they're in danger of drifting. They're in danger of losing their anchorage in the gospel. Whatever's happening around them. Then if you come to chapter 3 verse 7, we have another exhortation, another therefore. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As Moses' generation did. There's a danger of them hearing the message of Christ. And not just drifting away, but actually their hearts becoming calloused or indifferent to this message. Then, if you go to chapter 6, verse 1, you have another therefore. So by this stage, he's shown how Christ is superior to the prophets, the angels, Moses and Joshua. And then he says, now, I've just been teaching you Or you've been taught over the years basic principles. The ABC of the Christian faith. But as I look into your congregation, I'm concerned that you haven't gone on to learn words. And to be able to read sentences, if you want to put it like that. I'm concerned that you're still focused on the basic things of the Christian life. And you're not going on to maturity. And so chapter 6 verse 1. This therefore is about. It's not only enough not to drift away. It's not only not enough to not harden your heart. It is essential that you mature in Christ. That you can look back. And that others can look back. That your elders can look back and they can say, well, there's a man, there's a woman. They have made real progress in Christ. They're no longer needing the milk. 
They're now onto solid food. That's a, that's a sign that a child is growing when they go off the milk and they get onto the solid food. And that's what Hebrews is saying. Look at verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So it challenges this morning to think, am I a babe still in Christ? Though I've been a Christian for two years, five years, 20 years. Um, it challenges us to think, am I drifting away? Chapter 2, verse 1. Challenges us to think, am I in any sense hardening my heart? Um, and so in danger of not actually inheriting the kingdom. Being like one of the grounds in the parable where the seed has been sown. And yes, there's some initial evidence and signs of growth, but there's not really a root there. And then the final chapter, sorry, the final therefore uh, in the opening section is chapter 10, verse 19. Um, chapter 10, verse 19 um, and following and the point now is not leaving your confession uh, therefore brethren having boldness to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus um, verse 22 let us draw near with our true heart and full assurance of faith Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Some of them are wavering. Uh, Though they've uh, confessed Christ for a period of years, perhaps for many years, they're wavering. Look at verse 25, they're forsaking the gathering of themselves together, neglecting the meetings of the church. And then the uh, that's the the four in chapters one to ten, and then if you are um, the final, therefore, uh, is in the next section eleven to thirteen, the necessity of faith in Christ, um, and you have it in chapter twelve um, twice actually. Um, therefore, since we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares. And then um, it's talking about the challenges of their lives. Verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down. In other words, don't become a captive to your circumstances or the challenges or the difficulties. Strengthen your hands and the feeble knees. Make a straight path for your feet. So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So, um, chapters 11 to 13 in many respects are just a sustained application. If Christ is superior to the prophets, to the angels, to Moses, to Joshua... To the priests, then 
You need to hold fast to him. Like chapter 11, the great heroes of faith in the Old Testament. In all the circumstances of their lives. And then chapter 12, you need to endure like someone running a race. You run to the end. And in that race, there's discipline, self-discipline that's involved. And so um, the writer talks about the discipline of God. And then this faith in Christ, chapter 13, it will display itself in godly conduct towards others and in submission to their elders. That's the two big applications in chapter 13. So, I hope that we see immediately how this speaks into our lives. Let me make three applications as we close uh, this morning. Hebrews is an important book in a day of many faiths. We're living in a day of many faiths, many religions, and each has their own religious book. And you and I should be unashamed and unafraid to say to any other religious group, bring out your religious book and set it down. And I'll bring out my Bible and I'll set it down. And we will look and we will see whether the one that is central in your faith, are they superior to Christ? Does what they offer, does it match with Christ? Does it equal Christ? And you will find again and again and again that all of those faiths will be shown to be no faiths. uh, And that Christ um, is the only one, the superior uh, and the only way to God. That's one application. Hebrews is important in a day when Christians are increasingly being marginalized for their faith. And we can feel the pressure. And we can be inclined to think, well, maybe I just need to lift the foot off the throttle a little bit. And I'll just um, drift along. And I'll not be too distinctive in my faith in school, boys and girls. Or in the workplace, men and women. And I'll do what the government's saying and advising us. Faith's a private matter. You don't bring it out into the public square. Well, that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to let our light shine before men. Um, he calls us to be the salt uh, of the earth. He calls us to be the light of the world. And so um, we, we cannot um, uh, lessen our, um, our testimony to Christ either through our lives or through our lips. Yes, we need to be wise. But we cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. And so this book will help us. Because these believers, they were under pressure from their fellow Jews and their wider family circles, from their friends, from those that they worked for, to mute their testimony. To mute their testimony. And Hebrews is saying, don't do it. Don't drift away. 
don't say these things are a matter of indifference and just uh, close your ears to them. Don't neglect to mature. Don't forsake your confession. Rather, live it out in Christ. Run the race. Display the character and conduct of the Christian. And then Hebrews is an important book because it calls us whatever the circumstances and challenges in life and you don't need to go any further than Hebrews chapter 11 to see a whole range of challenging circumstances for the saints of God of old, uh, for Abel, um, for Noah building an ark when people had never seen rain before. For Abraham leaving his own country and going to another country. For Sarah who was without child and couldn't have children. And so the whole range of circumstances uh, and challenges in life. And this book says to us in the words uh, of um, uh, chapter 12 verse 2. Look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. Jesus. Whatever situation you find yourself in, look unto Jesus. And alongside that, it's saying, um, be at the heart of his church. That's why he challenges them uh, in chapter 10 about not forsaking the church, because that's where, um, that's where we learn of Christ. That's where he has preached. That's where he said before us. So it says to us, look unto Jesus and continue in his church. Um, For he is the author and finisher of our faith. And his church is designed to build us up in that faith. How helpful. How helpful. And so um, I trust that we can see then the relevance of this book and that even today uh, we um, are, though this is more of an outline and overview, encouraged and challenged in our own lives in relation to Christ and his church. So the theme that we're going to be following um, and the title I'm going to be giving the series is Look, Looking Unto Jesus and Continuing in His Church. Okay? Amen.